Paul writes to the Romans this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Uh, Paul is traveling down to Jerusalem uh, with uh, a lot of money. He's traveling with a lot of money. In fact, it concerns him because he, he prays, he asks for prayer that he might arrive safely. And he's not really sure when he arrives in Jerusalem how well the gift will be received because the gift has come from Gentile Christians to Jewish Christians. And he's not really sure how well that will be received because historically the gifting has always gone the other way and some people are not as good as rec at receiving as they are at giving. Some people are only interested in giving and they don't like to receive because they think it makes them look weak and they don't give others the opportunity and the gift of giving. So Paul is traveling with a good deal of money and he's traveling from um, Ikea down to Jerusalem. Uh, and as he travels, at some point on his journey, he stops and he writes a letter. And he writes a letter to the church in Rome. Right? So he's, he's not going to Rome, but he writes a letter to the church in Rome on his journey. And we have it before us. It is the book of Romans. It is a masterpiece of truth and theology. And as he comes to the end of this masterpiece of truth and theology, he gets very, very practical. And what I want to highlight this evening is God's provision of the church as a great strength and encouragement to one another. He faces a very uncertain future. Uh, uh, historically, he faces a very uncertain future. First of all, he's carrying a great financial gift, and if people find out he's carrying a lot of money, he could well be robbed. He's not sure how well he's going to be received in Rome, uh, in, in Jerusalem. We know that he wasn't well received by many. In fact, he was arrested and imprisoned and then sent to Rome for trial and, and their preference would have been execution which didn't happen first time round but happened second time round he faces a very uncertain future the church faces an uncertain future in the church in rome faces a very uncertain future the church in rome is at the center of the roman empire the center of influence however it is also not an easy place to live there are many challenges there not least the fact that it's dominated by a Roman pagan religion. And if you're a Christian in Rome, you're a minority, and you're a tiny minority against a very aggressive pagan Roman religion or religious state. And you've got a bunch of nutters ruling, the chief one being Nero, who's not far away historically and probably was overseeing uh, Rome at the time when Paul died 
we're talking about five years, six years after this letter was written. There was political intrigue, there was power games, there was various lunatics in power, there was persecution. In fact, there had been a history of persecution because as you read the book of Acts, when Paul gets to Corinth, he meets a couple who've been kicked out of Rome in a huge purge of Rome. Uh, Rome had decided that the Jews were a bunch of trouble causers and they had thrown them out. You can read of that in Acts chapter 18. Aquila and Priscilla recently came from Italy. That's Rome. Because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews leave Rome. It's, it's, it's not easy to be a, a Christian in Rome. It's not easy to go against the flow in Rome. So Paul's writing with personal uncertainty and he's writing with corporate uncertainty. He, he, we, they do not know what would lie ahead. And that, of course, doesn't even begin to include a health system which is non-existent, a financial system that regularly collapsed, uh, dependence on uh, an agricultural system uh, when you had good years and bad years and you had storms and you had times of hunger and times of famine as well as times of, of great uh, great harvests as Paul writes to the Roman church and as he comes to an end he talks about the things that should encourage and build us up now that's our series that's what we've been thinking about over the last few times we've met how can we face the uncertain futures of our day we can say like Rome there are great belief systems they don't call themselves religions but they are that dominate our society. They could, some of them call themselves secularism, but it is a belief system. And then there are other belief systems vying for power, and we know that, and we've seen it on the streets recently. We're seeing political intrigue and all kinds of shenanigans going on, both here and abroad. We're seeing huge movements of people. We're seeing international conflicts, and we wonder what lies ahead. And we as Christians increasingly become aware that we, are, we have become the baddies in society. And people now look at the church not as a source of goodness, but as a source of bigotry. And that's what we're kind of living with. And how do we face those futures? That, that's our theme as we've met together. And we've seen that God is keen and eager to help believers. We saw that. We saw that God loves us. And if God loves us, who can be against us? Well, lots of people who can defeat us. Well, no one. Who can take us from the hands of God? No one. Who can remove us from our eternal security? No one. And we've also seen that God has given us his spirit to help us as we live our lives. But God has also given us each other. He has given us each other. And sometimes we quite rightly concentrate on facing tomorrow with the help of God who wants to do us good, with the help of God who loves us, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we have a very low opinion of the church. That is a mistake. It is unbiblical. And we need to recognize that that is mistake and unbiblical. As Paul writes to the Romans, 
It's all about how the church helps each other. And chapter 15, I'm just sticking with chapter 15. I could have gone bigger, uh, but time, time would just overwhelm me. And, and I only have one thing that I want you to walk away with. We are to each other, by God, a great help and strength. Personally, as Christians, as congregations, you know, and, and here we have two congregations, okay, as congregations, but as also as a church bigger, we are of great help to each other. And as a church internationally, we are of great help to each other. And when churches and when Christians from faraway countries say to us, in all honesty, we are praying for you in England, in Scotland, in Ireland, in Wales. We're praying for you because that's where the gospel came to our country from. We should be deeply encouraged. We should be deeply encouraged. And seek also to help and strengthen them. That introduction was far too long, especially now it comes to the fact I have five points. Now, <laughs> normally and they're 15 minutes each, but we're going to whiz through them. The first one will be a bit longer, and then because uh, it's the main one, the kind of foundation one, and then we'll work from there. I have five instructions that I'm drawing out of this text that will help us uh, to appreciate each other and to strengthen our relationships with each other as we face uncertain days. My first point is very similar. Uh, those who are strong have an obligation, verse 1, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The first point I want to make when we come to churches locally and, and uh, broader and international, we've got to bear with each other. Okay? Or put another way, you have to resist the temptation to reject each other, which may come quite naturally to you. Yeah? So when you come into church, there will be people in church, and quite naturally, you may be tempted, quite naturally, as a reaction, to reject them. You are to resist that. You are to resist it. There are lots of people, reasons why people... Um, find others difficult to get on with. Sometimes it's the accent. Sometimes it's a background. Sometimes it's their character and their nature. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just some daft things that they've heard and daft things they've said, and daft things they've done. We are to resist. We are to bear. We have an obligation. It's an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, to bear with each other, and not to please ourselves. If you have to bear with someone, it, it means you have to resist rejecting them. It means the things that offend you about them, their failings and their weakness, and their neediness, their messy lives, their poor decisions, their lack of fortitude, all of those things, you have to live with. And you have to serve them and help them and encourage them. Churches should be a refuge for those that society 
can't cope with. And as such, churches are often full of people who need help. They should be full of people who need help. And if you say, well, I'm not one of those weak people, then you should be helping. You should be strong. And if you are one of those who are feeling weak, then you should expect to be helped. And if help is offered, you should receive it. We are all in some ways weak, in some way or another. And as we get to know each other, which is often hard work and painful, we often realize that we have weaknesses and often different weaknesses to each other. We all have feet of clay. We all have annoying habits. We all have things that we haven't dealt with that we should have dealt with. We are all sinners saved by grace. You will never find a church that does not have sinners in it. We're all sinners saved by grace. And we're all learning to continue trusting Jesus Christ for our salvation. And that's the nature of the church. And when you come into a church, you come in amongst sinners who are not yet finished. God is still at work in their lives. And you will have to bear with them. The Christian's obligation is not to please themselves, for Christ did not please himself. It is interesting that he then quotes Jesus. Verse 3, it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's interesting, isn't it? What Jesus is saying is, I got filthy with their sin. The reproaches of those who reproached you, O oh God, the sinners, their reproaches fell on me. We cannot deal with Christians without in some way being touched by and affected by their sin. It's impossible. Jesus is the great shepherd and we are the sheep. I worked with sheep for many years and uh, let me tell you about sheep. When you work with them, it doesn't take long before, my wife will tell you, you start to, pigs are the same, smell like them. Yeah? It doesn't take long until you begin to smell like them. The filth and the dirt that's on them sticks to you. The thorns and the thistles that cause them trouble cause your hands to bleed. It is a story of Jesus Christ. And don't think that when you deal with Christians and non-Christians, you will be able to do so from a distance. You won't. You'll be dragged into their world and you'll be dragged into their problems. And people at times will look at you and say as they did of Jesus, look at him. 
He's a drunkard because he spends time with drunkards. And he's a sinner because he spends time with sinners. That's what it means. The reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. And so as we live in a church, we cannot help but get our hands dirty. We cannot help but be hurt by the things that hurt others and the things that they say that hurt us. That is the nature of church. And to think anything else is foolishness and utterly unbiblical. It's hard work. It's exhausting serving weak and failing people. But in the midst of it, God says, welcome one another. Glorify God together. Have the encouragement of endurance and harmony with each other. As we work together, as our lives rub off against each other, as we are touched by each other's infirmities, we are increasingly united together, not by our, well, hopefully by our affection and care for each other, but more by our joint affection and care and love of Jesus Christ. That's at the heart of Christian unity. And that kind of church is a blessing to be in, isn't it? So when you know that you've failed, you know that you'll be amongst people who will love you, who will care for you, who will get alongside you, who won't be afraid to be associated with you, who won't be afraid to be caught by the dirt in your fleece. Secondly, welcome one another. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul focuses here on the, the great division between the Jew and the Gentile. It was at times, uh, there, there are many ways in which there was a division. Let me mention a few. It was an eth ethnic division uh, or, a, or a racial division between Jews and Gentiles that had to be overcome. And Paul wrestled with that. It was a tribal division. You're one tribe and another tribe. And even within Judaism, it was obvious in Jesus' day that there were tribes. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees and, and people took their turn. Got to break down those divisions as well. There were cultural divisions. There were the Samaritans and there were the Jews. And there were, some of it was cultural, some of it was tribal, some of it was religious and ethnic. That, then that great religious division between the people of God and not the people of God. And Paul says, you know, you Romans, you're in the mixing pot of Rome. Don't have divisions. Be united together. Welcome each other as Christ welcomed you. And then he mentions Christ. Christ became a servant to the Jews, the circumcised, to show God's faithfulness and confirm the promises to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles may glorify God or glory God for his mercy. Paul says, you know, Jesus Christ came into this world and he spent most of himself time amongst Jews. But his aim was that the Jews in his name would go to the Gentiles. That was always his aim. Not that the Jews would just stick to Jews, 
but they would go to Gentiles. And in fact, he acted in that way. And you find in Jesus' life, he spoke to Romans and he spoke to Samaritans. He spoke to Greeks who came to visit him. His thinking was always to reach out, to go beyond his own border. And when they came to him, he welcomed them. He welcomed them. And so we as churches, we should welcome people. And there should not be barriers within the churches. There should not be cliques. There should not be divisions caused by our race, our color, our history. We should be united under Jesus Christ. That should unite us. And that should mark our uniting. Jesus said, rejoice, O Gentiles. Praise God, O Gentiles. Praise the Lord. The root of Jesse would rule the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And so as a church, we should be united together. As churches, we should be united together. And in our care for the church internationally, we should be united with them. And you may say, well, I live in Clidduch and it's, it's 99% white. That's okay. That's all right. When you're thinking about missionaries, what do you think about? When you think about other churches, who are you partnering with? We should be thinking big world views. Big world views. And that should mark us as a church. And that should mark us as churches under Jesus Christ. Under the saving rule of Christ, all barriers are broken down between Jew and Gentile, between holy and unholy in some ways. We're all united to Jesus Christ and trust in him. May the God of all hope, he says, verse 13, to these people who are united together in Christ, fill you with joy and peace in believing and in Holy Spirit power and in hope. And this is the result of having a big view of the church of Jesus Christ and welcoming many and any into it to follow Jesus Christ. Thirdly, teach one another. He says, I believe, I'm convinced, I'm satisfied that you're full of goodness. That's a good start, verse 14. And knowledge, that's great. And able to instruct one another. Though on one or two points, I've written to you boldly to remind you, because I think you might have gone a little bit astray. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister, I'm doing this. As I seek to, in the, to work in the service of the gospel of God. But you are able to teach one another. And Paul is convinced that there is in the church in Rome, there is the resources or there are the resources to teach and encourage each other. You're full of goodness, so you're teaching. At that, this point, must be kind and generous and gentle because there is a kind of teaching that is not by good people and not full of goodness. It's driven by hatred and by meanness and by self-love. Well, Paul says, I don't think that's in you. I think you're full of goodness and so you're teaching will follow that pattern. It may need a bit of correct, correcting at the edges, and I've written to you about that, so we keep reading the Bible, and we keep reading, so that we may be clear that we're on the right path, and we're teaching accurately. 
but we should teach each other. And when we come to a church, one of the things that happens in a church is not just that we praise God together, but that we teach each other. Now, how do we teach? Paul mentions it. We teach, gen we teach people who are not Christians to believe, okay? Gentiles to believe in this case. And we teach Christians who do believe to continue believing and become more accurate in their believing and clearer in their thinking. We teach by word, he says, verse 18. We teach by deed, verse 18. There is so much that is learned in a church, isn't there? In the things that are said and in the things that are done and in the way things are done. We set the example so that when people come to join us by word and action, they learn. What examples are we setting? What words are we speaking? Do our words and do our actions match? Are they united? We also teach, well, says Paul, I taught in the power of signs and wonders and in the power of the Spirit of God. There is a lot there to unpack and I don't have time to do it. But let me say, if someone doesn't come here and see that what you're doing is only possible because you follow God and are trusting him, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And if people do not come and see that you are working, not in your own strength, but in the spirit and the power of the spirit, and if you are not constantly pointing to the fact that you do not only work in your own, you do not work in your own strength, but in the power that the Spirit has given you, there's something wrong. It should be clear when people come into the church that whatever we do, we do so in God's power. And in God's power, remarkable things are done and lives are changed. And Paul says, I'm you, I'm going to do that, and I have done it from Iconium to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Iconium. And he says, well, wherever you go. And so it must be true. It should be true. So in other words, if I put it like this, the truths that we love and hold to here, wherever we meet Christians, they should be truths that we see there. Okay. If that is not the case, we are in trouble. Or they are in trouble. We need to make sure that we're not in the wrong. But wherever we go, and in fact, that, that surely is the case. And if you've traveled anywhere, and if you've gone to churches, then you would have found what, what I have found in my life. That where there are true churches, people love what we love and believe what we believe and seek to do what we seek to do wherever they are and that's what unites the church unity in Christ and in his truth so we should be teaching one another and be gracious in our teaching of each other and then fourthly we should support each other practically he says I'm carrying a gift from uh, Macedonia and Ikea and they were pleased to make some donations and uh, 
they were making donations for gifts for the poor in Jerusalem. It seems that there had been a famine. And the Christians in Jerusalem, who had, especially those who had been abandoned or cast out by their families, were, were struggling. And so the burden of caring for these Christians had fallen on the church. And the church was struggling to fulfill the needs. Now, the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia were hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So they couldn't do anything practically as in giving water and food. But what they could do is that they could send money. And that's what they did. They sent money. Sometimes we can support each other practically. We can support each other in a way that is, is very near and very obvious and very practical. And, and we know that and we have rested and enjoyed and relied on that over the years. And, and some of us have, have had the benefit of food packages when we've been short of money and uh, have had, have had um, finances given to us when we've been in great need and, God willing, we've reciprocated. And that should be at the heart of a church, a practical care and love for each other. If you can do it in person, that's brilliant. If you can't do it in person, there are other ways to do it, which you see Paul doing here. And at the heart of the church is this practical support. Uh, and, and Paul puts it like this. The Gentiles came to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews. So they ought to be of service to the Jews in their material blessings. It's intriguing that, you know, some of us, we bless each other spiritually and have little materially. Some of us have materially and are able to bless those who've blessed us spiritually. It's lovely. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a nice way of, that's, that's what God wants. Whatever gifts you have and whatever resources you have, you use them. If your resources are spiritual resources, you use them. If your resources are physical resources, you use them. Whatever it is. And there are some people with great physical resources who need spiritual help. And there are people with spiritual resources who need physical help. And in the church, those should come together so that we may be a blessing to each other. And there is, should be a sense of indebtedness and care. And then finally, prayerful support, prayerful support. Strive together with me in your prayers, says Paul, to God on my behalf. And having spoken about all the, all the care and love that's shown between Christians and to each other, on a number of occasions, he looks forward to not just being a blessing to the Romans, but the Romans being a blessing to him. And as you read this last passage, he's, he talks a, a number of times of how he's looking forward to being with them. And he's looking forward to, uh, to enjoying their, their blessings to him. And, and, and he says, uh, this, is, this is what it should be like. But included in that is prayerful, prayerful support that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, 
He says, this concerns me. This weighs heavily on my heart. Will you pray for me? Will you pray that I'll be well received when I get to Jerusalem? It concerns me. We say, well, why are you concerned, Paul? Haven't, haven't you... Haven't you traveled the world? Haven't you preached the gospel? Haven't you survived stonings? Haven't you survived shipwrecks? Haven't, haven't you done all those things? And he goes, yeah, but when I get to Jerusalem, do you know, they're my people. They're my home. And, and to be rejected by my people, it concerns me. You can pray for me. And to have the gifts that I've encouraged to have them rejected. And if the church in Macedonia and Ikea heard about it, how hurt they would be. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the unity of the church. I'm concerned about my own presence, but I'm also concerned. And, and then I don't want to be, I don't want them to reject the gift because it's me. You can see the levels, can't you? The levels that he's, he would wrestle with. You know, imagine the church in Jerusalem rejecting the gift because of me and my reputation. That'd be a terrible thing. So pray for me. Will you pray? Paul is striving. And he wants the Roman church to join with him in prayer and be united in prayer. See, in a way, he needs them. And he values them. And he asks for help. And he wants them to be a blessing to him. As he wants to be a blessing to them. And he says, I look forward to being with you in person. Verse 32. So that I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Is that lovely? That a church should be a place where people are refreshed and supported and cared for and welcomed and loved and tolerated at times. And that's why it's such great sadness when there are problems in churches, isn't it? Because they are far from what they should be. And that's what breaks our hearts, isn't it? May God protect us from each other as we seek to serve him.